Yeah, Gary, I do think this season is is due to be interesting. Let's hear what the front three have to say about this. There's only three wise men will listen to. There's only three wise men will listen to. It's the front Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Front Free Podcast with myself, Big Will, Coach Dan, and of course, the prodigy himself, AJ. So now we're in part two of our two-part mini-series called White Angels, The Rise and Fall of the Galacticos. In part two, we discuss how Romage's Galacticos era changed the face of the football business. Enjoy. Yeah, um, and then... Looking back on that era then, John, um, how do you think the sort of Galacticos era has impacted how, you know, football is run today as a sport? Well, I think I think it's changed it a lot. I think they were the, they were the trailblazers. They're the, they're the ones that understood that there was a lot more money to be made from football than had been made before. They understood that, that like I said before, that it was a, prior to the Galactical phenomenon at Real Madrid, there was a discrepancy between the enormity of football and the relatively small amounts of money that were being generated. And, and I think that since then, people really began to understand, you know, what, what Peter Kenyon didn't understand when he sold David Beckham, that if you've got players who sort of got just a massive global appeal and they're just sort of more than footballers, they're household names, then, then you know, when you go and, and negotiate with the you know, TV people over the rights to the games, when you go to negotiate with the big companies, your Nikes, your Adidas, your Coca-Colas, whatever, um, you, you, you can claim a hell of a lot more money from them. And I think that that is the, 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 the sort of revolution that Trentino Perez spearheaded. And, and everyone has learned from that example. All the big clubs of the world have learned from that example. I think even, even Barcelona, for example, you know, back in the day, you wouldn't, associate Barcelona with forking up huge money to get the best stars. But we can just even see from the signings of Neymar, for example, that that's not something that, you know, if you'd think of Barcelona, you know, and how they're so big on La Masia and bringing, you know, young players through the youth, that's not something we would ever associate with them. But I think them doing that, making that signing and spending that amount of money to bring one of the best stars in the world to the team is an influence of the Galactico era. And I think we'll, we'll, yeah. con- I think we'll continue to see it forever. But I think also, I think, I think it's, it's important to, to mention Barcelona, of course, and you, you can't really talk too much about Real Madrid without talking about Barcelona sooner or later. Mm. And um, the thing is that even though it was such a commercially successful project, the Galacticos, and it was such fun, you know, I mean, I, I, I just enjoyed watching those guys in the same team, pinging the ball around with extraordinary skill. Um, that they didn't, they didn't match, like I say, all that talent with with success, with trophies, and their football, um, as you know, was 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 okay. But then when the Galacticos left, um, you know, Real Madrid didn't really set the world on fire in terms of the football. And I think that you know, I talked about uh, Florentino Perez's tragic error in getting rid of of, of Makelele. I think his great disappointment crushing disappointment really was that he never achieved a team that played football as absolutely sublimely as Guardiola's Barcelona. That Mm. was his ultimate dream to play that sort of symphonic football that just, you know, seized the imagination of the world for, you know, three or four or five years when you had Xavi, you know, Iniesta, Messi, 
um, you know, and the likes of, I don't know, Samuel Eto'o and, and David Villa and all these other guys and Busquets and Piquet and Puyol. That team was just, you know, it's the best football team that I've ever seen in my life, bar none. Um, and, and in particular in the sense that they just kept up that system. They replicated the beauty of that football, you know, for game after game and for years. And I think that was a, a, a subject of some resentment for Florentino. And that's why going ahead of the, you know, beyond the Galactico era, it was in desperation that he signed Jose Mourinho, not in order to, you know, match Barcelona in terms of beautiful football, but in order to stop them, you know, to break their legs if necessary. And so, so the minute that he that he that he he signs Mourinho, he's kind of throwing up the white flag and acknowledging that he's not going to be able to match Barcelona in terms of the beauty of the football, and he's going to have to settle for a policy of containment. Mm. Um, is the story true that he turned down signing Ronaldinho because he thought he was ugly? I, no, I've never heard that before. I've never heard that before. I think the thing is that if you know, the thing is it was good. It, it was Beckham or Ronaldinho at the time. And, and Ronaldinho is obviously a far, far, far better footballer than Beckham. I mean, you can't begin to compare. God, I, I shall always have treasure my memories of Ronaldinho playing football. <coughs> but Beckham was the guy that, you know, fitted into to Florentino's, you know, Hollywood plan. And um, more to the point, Barcelona were thinking of buying Beckham. And in fact, the, the Barcelona president, who's just been elected now, was you know, re-elected, was the president back then, and he he said he was going to buy Beckham. So uh, Real Madrid beat him to it. I think it was, you know, in the long run, I think it was much better for Barcelona to have got Ronaldinho mm. because he then paved the way for, for the great team that came along and sort of, you know, he acted as sort of Messi's, I don't know, godfather, babysitter, you know, help Messi come along. Um but I, I, I wasn't aware of Real Madrid having been seriously in for Ronaldinho at any point. And so when it comes to the Galacticos era then, John, um, is there, I mean, on the pitch, is there sort of a deci- defining moment sort of where you thought this was them at their very best? Well, I mean, there were just so many um, terrific goals scored. You know, I remember, I mean, that was it. <clears throat> it was more about moments of extraordinary beauty on the pitch rather than sustained, mm. you know, victory after victory success. I mean, just one particular goal that comes to mind is uh, Beckham launching one of his, you know, sort of Hail Mary type passes from um, inside his own halfway line, a sort of, I don't know, 40 yard plus pass that he lobbed up into the air and you know, it landed perfectly on the edge of the box on Zidane's foot. And after the sort of 40-yard-plus flight of the Beckham cross, Zidane catches it on the volley and rifles it into the back of the net. Mm. Now, that's just one particular goal that if people haven't seen it on YouTube, I, I suggest you you look it up. And it's just one particular goal that, that stands out. But, you know, just, just you know, and the sheer power of Ronaldo was just a joy to behold. He was just such a sort of amazing sort of football animal, you know, he was just so made for it, made to be a centre-forward. And, and you know, watching Figo on the wing and Roberto Carlos, who was just phenomenal. I've never seen a, a full-back like Roberto Carlos and the wiles of Raul. You know, when they when they kind of came together and put together 
an intricate move. It was a thing of enormous beauty to behold. And, you know, and I think in football, when you look back on, on, on your football life, yeah, you remember the trophies, you remember the great days when they win the cup and they're all jumping up and down. But you also remember those moments of, of sublime magic on the pitch and the Galacticos produced a lot of them. AJ and Coach, uh, what do you remember on the pitch, sort of a uh, defining moment for you guys? I think this, for me, I just have um, memories of just magical moments, man. You know, the Zidane goal. Um, I think there was a goal. I, I, I can never remember who they were playing against, but all I remember is Guti's gone through one-on-one and he's gone to shoot and he's backheeled it to Raul for Raul. Yeah, in the net. Yeah. That's <laughs> one of the greatest goals I've ever seen, personally, I because... I think the introduction of the move, it was sublime. You know, Gucci was on a different level. You know, yeah, man, I was just, just saying that the level of intelligence in that goal, right? It's, it's phenomenal. <laughs> Honestly, you know, I think magical moments like that, of course, Ronaldo, you know, he was just a phenomenon. You know, you just seen the way he used to manipulate the players, you know. And then it's just like, like John Rightly said, when those players clicked and done magical things, you know. Unbelievable. And I also, I think them winning the league, um, I think it was within the first two years, I think they won the league for the first time in a very long time. I think that was a defining moment just for them, you know. And yeah, but, but, but they won the, the league. They won the league after the Galacticos had, <clears throat> had, had begun to, 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 to crumble. They didn't have the entire Galactica, you know, full house when they yeah. won a couple of years later. And so it, it, it was a team that was more effective but didn't have the that same magic. Glitz and glamour. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, yeah, that's it. For me, the I just love that 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 moment of brilliance from Guti. I think it's always something that and Zidane's goal are two things. And maybe Ronaldo's hat trick against Manchester United, I believe. Yeah, that's what I remember, man. Those three <laughs> yeah. top moments yeah. for me. Those three are top top, top three moments for me. Yeah, when, 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 when the whole of Old Trafford got up and, um, and applauded Ronaldo. They clapped him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah they started an ovation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What yeah. <laughs> a player. Yeah, what a player. Yeah, he was fabulous. And, and a really nice guy too, you know. I mean, the, the, the fun of doing my, my book was not only that I travelled with a team all over the place, it was interviewing all these guys, interviewing, you know, Beckham, but also Zidane, Roberto Carlos, Figo, whatever. In fact, I interviewed Roberto Carlos and Ronaldo, the two Brazilians together, and they were such good guys. They were such fun. I had a ball with them. I've interviewed lots and lots and lots of famous people and famous football players, but I've never actually liked um, players or enjoyed being with them as much as that time I spent with uh, Roberto Carlos and, and Ronaldo together. Yeah, we had we had a fella come on and he was speaking about Ronaldo. He, he just he was just um, like you know spewing superlatives about him as well. So it seems he seems like he's a good fella, man. And I mean, all these Brazilians they sort of like cut the figure off, so like they're here for fun and things like that. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I think I think I read I read something an article last year, Roberto mm. Carlos talking about you know the the, the Galacticos they they love to play football and they love to party as well. He was talking about some of the crazy parties that you know they had after games and stuff like that you know and you know you, you take away you take away the discrepancy like the discrepancy and sort of like the quality to to sort of like um the success on the pitch i think guys look the players the way they, they assembled that team right that's how we all that's that's sort of like what we do in football games and stuff like that you football know that's manager. what everyone was doing. <laughs> yeah 
you think yeah. of you think of even even like the movie Avengers, right? You bring the best, the world superheroes in <laughs> yeah. them and everything. And, and so yeah. it's always it's always like fun seeing that. Listen, in quality wise, individually, they didn't lack anything. Those players were brilliant, and and I I wonder to you know I can't wait to see another team that that you know dares to do something like that. Maybe PSG will get both Ronaldo and Messi in next year. <laughs> yeah, now that's right. But what I was saying before about how you know Florentino Perez, this incredibly successful, serious, you know, world businessman, for him, Real Madrid was a return to childhood. So he selected those players with the sort of criteria of a little kid. You know, mm-hmm. let's just get you know, let's not worry about team shape or balance. Just get you know the best ones in there. It was kind of a an act of sort of sublime irresponsibility. But it was magnificent in its own way. Mm. Um, so, John, turning our attentions to um, Barcelona, um, I know you're in Barcelona at the moment. What's the vibe around the city, around the club, about how things have shaked out in Barcelona in the last, you know, two or three years? Well, last two or three years have been pretty grim. Look, I mean, Barcelona Football Club has got, you know, a problem, which is that they were just so bloody good, you know, a few years ago. They were they so where, you know, bestrode the world with their talent that, you know, inevitably they're continually harking back to that and comparing the present team with that. And unfortunately, you know, I don't think a, a team of that quality is going to be, you know, replicated, you know, in a very, very, very long time. So so, so Barcelona fans are kind of in a state of kind of chronic nostalgia mm. um, about that. So that's, that's one way of, of looking at that, the general state of mind there. Secondly... You know, the team has not been playing at all well the last few years. They've been pretty, the last two or three years, they've been pretty, pretty humdrum. Um, you know, they've, they've just sort of rested entirely on Messi. And it just comes a point where Messi can't do everything, for heaven's sake. It is a team game. And then, of course, they made some, you know, spectacular mistakes on in the transfer market. Having sold Neymar, um, which they didn't want to do, but Neymar wanted to go, which was a shame because with Neymar and Messi together, you had a pretty fun bunch of players there um they they got all this money you know whatever it was 200 million and they proceeded to blow it um almost immediately on two players in particular who've absolutely not lived up to their billing in particular Coutinho which I must say to me was a surprise he was one of the you know four or five best players in the Premier League and he absolutely bombed at Barca and then there was Dembele who's a who's got immense talent but he just needs to sort of you know screw his head on a bit better he does tend to get injuries, and Dembele has not lived up remotely to the massive amount of money, 120 million plus that they that they paid for it. So they squandered a hell of a lot of money there. And then Griezmann also looked good, but he didn't work out either. He's also been a disappointment. So the big purchases of the last few years have not worked out at all on the field. They've not worked out particularly commercially either. Mm. And as a consequence, um, and then you add the, the the pandemic to it all. Um, Barcelona are in massive debt. They're in they're in worse shape than any of the top clubs in Europe, and they're going to have a hell of a job now trying to scale the peaks because they're not going to have money to spend on on big players. And I think that the priority now is going to be pretty humdrum for the club. The priority of Laporta, the new president, is going to be to stabilise the, the the club financially. Hope that they sort of more or less, you know, knock on doing okay in in in, in the league. And they're not going to be quali- they're not going to be rivals for competitors of Champions League. And hope that in a couple of years they can rebuild and be, 
and be great again. But unfortunately, I don't think Laporta is the man for this. Laporta is a highly disorganized man. He's fun. He's charismatic. But um, he's got his own little law firm, which apparently has been an absolute shambles mm. in terms of management. So a little, if you can't manage a little law firm, how is he going to manage a big, you know, administer a big monster club like Barcelona um, is open to question. What made sort of fans vote for him as or get re-elected as president? Yeah, well, and it's no secret. I mean, what I'm telling you is not exactly, you know, classified intelligence. Um, well, I think the reason that he won is two reasons. One is that the other two candidates were just incredibly grey, um, unexciting. One of them looked like he might be better at, you know, managing the club, but he just looked a bit too much like an accountant. He's got no experience of um, running a big football club before he comes from the tech sector. And he just didn't really set anybody on fire. And the other guy whose name I almost forget, I mean, it's actually it's called Tony Fraser. He also was just, you know, really very unexciting. So he won more by default because the rivals, rivals were, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, it was such crap. And, and also he had name recognition. You know, he was president at the beginning of that Guardiola era. And, um, and when you've got name recognition and you're a sort of, you know, you're a fun character, he's bombastic. I mean, of the three candidates, he's by far the one I'd much rather go out and have a beer with. <laughs> um, and, and that's how he won. But I mean, I don't think that there's, there's too many Barca fans that, you know, attach any great confidence to him. They just chose him because, well, he was, he was um, you know, less, less dull and more, more of an own quantity than, than the others. But Barca have got a hell of a challenge ahead of them now. And I think the big question now, and I've talked about this quite a lot on, on, on Catalan television and radio, the big question is whether they're going to be able to manage to preserve this romantic model they have of the club being owned by the fans, um, by its members, or whether they're going to have to go the route of the big British clubs and and sell themselves to, you know, be bought by some filthy rich Arab or American or or whatever. And that's that's the that, that I think that's the challenge for them to hold on to this, like I say, very romantic, old fashioned idea of a sort of family club. Mm. AJ and Dan, how do you feel that Porto would do as a president? Well, I don't think he's going to do very well. I mean, we'll see. I mean, maybe maybe he'll manage to, to you know, persuade some bank to shell out massive, massive amounts of money and then allow them to sort of to, to, to rebuild a bit more quickly than they otherwise might. But, um, mm. but I mean, you know, I, I know people very well in, in that whole Barcelona setup, people who've been presidents, who've been club directors, people who know Laporta very well. And... Um, and they fear that he's really not the man for this kind of sober job of administration and stabilizing that's required more now. He's more a player for, you know, when the wind's behind your sails and you've got the great players there and let's just rock and roll and have a party. Because you were talking before about how the Galacticos used to have these wild parties with Ronaldo and stuff at the head. Well, they... They used to have some pretty wild parties when Ronaldinho was around, you know, always the Brazilian connection. Um, and Laporta <laughs> would be right in there. Laporta did not play the role of the sort of sober president who stays at home with his slippers. He'd go out there and get completely out of his mind with Ronaldinho and company and, you know, and have just as much fun and indulge in as much riotous behaviour as the players. You know what? When they come out, when they exit the Champions League, right, Ronald Coleman came out and he was talking about how Messi should stay because the club has got a great future and stuff like that. And I just found myself thinking, the boy is, what, 33, 34 years old? The future you're talking about means nothing to him. 
Like at his age, he's not looking like what where Barcelona, what if he was to stay, what Barcelona would look like in the next, I don't know, five, whatever years. Because look, Pedri and Moriba, who are supposed to be sort of like the 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 youth that they're looking up to now, they're 18. Before they even, you know, get to like 23 or 21, let's say even 21 in three years' time, Messi's what, 37 or something like that. He, that stuff like that doesn't he does I don't I don't imagine he cares for it, right? We spoke about how, you know, the transition from Ronaldinho to him. Ronaldinho was like a babysitter and, and you know, the club were confident enough to let Ronaldinho go because Ronaldinho was such a big, big player at Barcelona. And for them to let him go, I know his performance dropped and, you know, his quality as well and everything like that. But he was so big and they, they were confident to let him go because they had a Lionel Messi coming out from the ranks. I don't see anything from Barcelona that tells us, you know, they can be confident in letting Messi go. But all things seems to point that Messi wants to leave. And now I just feel that, I just feel like, you know, be out of fear or to lose him, they might do something just ridiculous to keep him at the club. And it just seems to me they can't go and buy the best players anymore because they've gone and spent money and it's just not working. Griezmann, yeah. it was funny because when you were speaking, you said you, you spoke like Aston, Aston, you know, he's never going to recover. You said, you know, that um he didn't, he, he's not worked out or he, he and, and that's just it. It was so definitive. It's not even like he has not worked out yet. He doesn't seem like he's going to rediscover his Atletico Madrid form. Mm. And so what are you going to do with a player like that? Usman Dembele, yeah. he's been there three, four years now. What future should Messi wait for that guy to get to? You get what I mean? Mm. It just... No, no, I mean, I couldn't, Dan, I couldn't agree more with absolutely everything that you've said. And look, I mean, I've thought a lot about this and I've talked a lot. I mean, I've written articles for the papers here in Spain about it. I talk about it on the radio and stuff a lot and on TV. And it was something I gave a lot of thought to. But, and I think you're absolutely right. But I mean, Messi, Messi, he said it in this big interview he did at the end of last year. He wants to play in a competitive team. In other words, a team that can challenge seriously, you know, for the Champions League as well as the Spanish League. And Barcelona is not going to be that team for a few years. There, there is talent around. There's Ansu Fati, who unfortunately is out injured these days. He looks bloody good. But it's going to be a while before these boys have the maturity. I mean, I, the first game against PSG when they lost 4-1 here in Barcelona, it was absolutely men against boys. If ever the phrase men against boys was, was the appropriate one, this was it. Now, the question is this with Messi. Is the most important thing for him in life his football or is actually just as important or maybe more so in terms of him making his decision, his family being happy and, and being here in Barcelona, which is where his family love to be and where he feels comfortable personally? And, and if he feels a duty to Barcelona to, you know, as you were saying, sort of usher along these young players the way that Ronaldinho did with him. If that's the case, he might stay. Acting against that is the fact that he cost them so much bloody money. You know, yeah. the club is bankrupt and he, and he cost them, you know, 100 million euros plus a year. Now, if, if Messi's absolute priority is, in the, you know, I think he's got a few years left that he can play at the very top. In fact, I interviewed Guardiola two years ago and he said if Messi really wanted to, he could play until 40 and beyond if he really wanted to play at the top level. Now, if Messi's absolute priority is just being in a highly competitive team and maximising the talent that he has left, even as his speed declines, then there could be no doubt in my mind that the best thing for him is to go to Manchester City. Because, you know, A, it's, it's already a, a mightily strong team, but B, he'll be with Guardiola, who Messi has identified as, you know, definitely by far the best coach he's ever had. And no coach will know, like Guardiola, 
how to get the best out of him in his years of physical decline. You know, so if the football is the absolute priority, then, you know, surely he would go to Man City, assuming, of course, Man City still wants him, which is another question. Um, PSG, fine, but PSG is the French league, and who the hell watches the French league? You know, you're just really playing in the Champions League. You're not going to be, you're not going to be in the global eye. The Premier League, the whole world watches the Premier League. It's by far, and again, if you love football, the Premier League is where you're going to go. So I don't know. I mean, I think so. That, and and I, so I, I, all I can do is set out the sort of arguments on each side. And um, but I certainly can't give you a crystal ball and say what's actually going to happen. But if I were him and if football were my absolute priority to get the best out of the years remaining to me, City and Guardiola has to be the option. Hundred percent. I agree with everything you've just said, John. <laughs> <laughs> and then, John. Um, you know, obviously they had that 4-1 defeat at home um, against PSG, but overall the current form, you know, isn't too bad. I mean, they're six points behind Atletico. I mean, if Atletico, you know, for some reason slip up, you know, even though, of course, Barcelona have Messi, um, would it be one of the club's, you know, really great achievements if they do end up winning La Liga this season? Yeah, it would be. I mean, look, the Liga is not what it was. I remember, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I've, I've, been, I've lived in London until about a year and a half ago. Then I lived in Barcelona before. I'm, I'm sort of half Spanish and half British. So I watched the two leagues, you know, with great interest. And a few years ago, say eight or nine years ago, I'd watch a Liga game and then the Premier League. And they were just two different sports. The Liga was at another level. Hmm. Now it's the opposite. Now I watch the Premier League and then I watch the Liga. And the Liga just seems sort of slow, cumbersome and not at the same um, at the same level. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that, um, that so, so winning, winning the, 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 the Liga this season, Barcelona, you know, would be a significant achievement given all the troubles they've had and all the problems with Messi and the change of presidents and all the scandals and the, you know, near bankruptcy. But it wouldn't be such a huge achievement in the sense that, A, they've done it a lot of times before and B, La Liga is definitely not as strong as it has been. You've only got to look at how the Spanish teams are doing in Europe compared to, to other years. So, you know, it would certainly be a compensation, something to celebrate. And, and, and Barca have been playing better in the last month or so. Whether they'll sustain it or not, I don't know. But they have been playing a bit better. And they were, they were definitely better against PSG yesterday um, when they drew 1-1. Um, Was it yesterday or the day before? Whenever, you know, a couple of days yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. When they drew 1-1, when they got thrashed 4-1 at the Camp No. But there again, you know, PSG were four one up, but they really sort of full throttle. I don't think mm -hmm. so. So there's yeah. something a bit deceptive, maybe, about Barcelona's relatively good performance. And you know, Atletico Madrid could stumble, but of course, you know, Atletico Madrid, Simeone—they're a bloody rock. Um, and then last few questions, then John, um, what's the best game that you've watched live in person? Blimey, <laughs> um, God, I, I, I just I wouldn't know where to begin. I've seen so many games. Um, I remember seeing, um, I, I saw the, the absolute sort of massively world famous, legendary, historic game in which Maradona scored the best goal ever in the, in the hand of God. Wow. No way. Wow. I, I was there at the Azteca Stadium wow. sitting behind the goal where Maradona scored both goals. So that wow. was, I'm not saying that was, you know, the best game of football I've seen, but it was certainly, um, you know, the most the most memorable and the one that, you know, immediately comes to mind. But I've seen, you know, I've seen World Cup finals in, in Japan, in Mexico. I've seen Champions League finals. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was there at the Camp Nou at the also 
you know, very, very, very memorable victory of Man United over Bayern Munich when they were losing 1-0 at 90, not on 90 minutes and 1-2-1 with two goals in three minutes. Um, that was a pretty mind, mind-blowing experience. It wasn't a great game, but the last three minutes, boy. <laughs> um, yeah, so th- th- those are the games that come to mind. I could go on, but... Yeah. Um, yeah. John, I, John, I want your memories. <laughs> I want your it? memories. <laughs> you've done, you've seen some unbelievable things. Wow. <laughs> and the final question then, John, um, are you team Mbappe or team Haaland? Oh, <clears throat> I mean, I haven't sort of seen, like I say, I, I'm a sort of Liga and Premier League guy. I watch, you know, loads of games of both. I haven't watched, you know, PSG that much. I've seen Mbappe more than I have seen um, Haaland. I think I'd probably go for Mbappe because I think he's he's a more complete player and he's probably got more mileage in him. He can score as many goals as Haaland, but he can also play a bit more of a, you know, messy type creative role. And probably the older he gets, he'll become more messy-ish. Mm. In his um, in his ability to to create goals as well as score them, whereas Haaland is someone who's just going to be you know forever a centre forward. But it's not an easy choice. I mean, they're both pretty pretty awesome. But I mean, I think if you know if you were to ask me which of the two players, if if you, if, if you said they were both they both cost the same amount, which of the two I'd buy for my team, I'd go from Mbappe. Mm. Interesting. Um, and then finally, John, um, let's plug your book, White Angels. Where can people find it? Um, oh, well, okay. Well, it's kind of you to mention it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I wrote it quite a long time ago. It's a bit of it's a bit of sort of football history, but it's quite fun. There's quite a lot of sort of anecdotes uh, along the lines of things I've been talking about here, and it's quite a sort of intimate close-up portrait of that extraordinary Galactico era. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's published by Bloomsbury, and and obviously, you know, without you know, in this day and age of digital stuff and whatever, you can find it if you. Put your mind to it <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely well you've been listening to the front three with myself big will coach dan the prodigy himself aj and of course the wonderful john carlin as well we'll be back again next week for another episode